Walking distance is supported by Gossamer Gear. Whether you're looking to break into backpacking or you're an experienced thru-hiker and want to upgrade your kit, Gossamer Gear has got you covered. Based out of Austin, Texas, Gossamer Gear has been supplying backpackers with high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear for 15 years, including their 17-ounce bomb-proof trekking pole tent called The One and their 60-liter Mariposa Pack. Under two pounds and loaded with pockets, it's strong enough to allow you to comfortably carry your load. And some good news for you as a listener of Walking Distance. You can score a 15% discount at gossamergear.com by using code WALKINGDISTANCE at checkout. Again, that's 15% off with code WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, at gossamergear.com. I will say this, and I think a lot of hikers are surprised by this, there are plenty of AT maintainers. You know, this is someone who has a section of trail assigned to them by their local trail club, are recreating in their volunteerism, in their work. That's how they like to engage with the trail. They are not necessarily hikers. They don't aspire to be through hikers. Some of them may not even like hiking that much. What they like to do is trail work and trail work itself although it's his work is its own recreation activity and its own way to to build a relationship with the resource from the trek this is walking distance a show for hikers trekkers trampers and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there and that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack I'm Blissful Hiker. As hikers and backpackers, we head out on the trail to rejuvenate our senses, to see something awe-inspiring, and to challenge ourselves. While we may feel blessed to have these spaces to engage this part of ourselves, sometimes we fall into the trap of taking the very ground we walk on for granted, that somehow trails have always been there for our feet, or that maintaining the look and feel of the path by clearing blowdowns, building stairs, rerouting landslips, and taming trail-overtaking plants is someone else's responsibility. Andrew Downs is the Senior Regional Director of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, or the ATC. He through-hiked the AT right after graduating from North Carolina State University with a master's in natural resource management. He points out that the trail itself is almost 100% permanently protected, though the experience of the trail requires more of a body of land than just the 36 inches of the footpath, and that is not fully protected. His work includes bringing together the myriad parties, governmental, municipal, private landowners, developers, etc., to pursue projects that build out the protected corridor we expect. Interesting to me is that on the ATC website, Andrew states that he takes a volunteer-first approach to all the work he does, and that it's actually people from all walks of life that are the engine to fuel the miracle that is the AT. Volunteers came first. They came before ATC. They came before the trail itself was completed. They came before the National Park Service. We want to make sure to continually put volunteers first um, because not only is that critical for 
the footpaths viability is like you said, you know, clearing blowdowns and, and building steps and things like that. But the way the, the AT is managed with these 31 locally based volunteer clubs, making sure that volunteers are at the forefront of AT management is also a critical part of protection because when done right, we would have this army of people who live near the trail, who value it, who can draw a clear line between the trail's protection and viability and their own quality of life and their own communities. And, you know, ATC's role is to keep them focused on the most critical things facing the AT to make sure that they don't get bogged down in the bureaucracy of the, you know, that's associated with a, a federal asset. Um, but that they can really spend their time and energy in the ways they like to do it and in the ways that most benefit the trail. I had an interesting experience on the PCT. I met a couple of trail workers and I asked them about, you know, cleaning up the trail. And it was very much like what you're saying. They they both said, you know, we, we like to come out here and, and this is really how we get our exercise. Um, but we like flush toilets and you know, yeah. and and a beer now and again. Um, and uh, curiously, the the gal told me that she started in this because she really needed to lose weight. And you know, she 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 named it you know eighty pounds. It was an enormous amount of weight that she lost, and it, so it really became her exercise program. And I was so impressed with um you know with their attitude towards the trail contrary to that i also found hikers um somewhat mystified by trail crews in an odd way like sometimes they didn't understand why they were building stairs or why they were fixing maybe a landslip rather than um you know just clearing the brush and uh, and so i wonder if you have some disconnect with with hikers in terms of like well this this trail has to be managed in some way and and cared for uh, how do you invite hikers in to understand that and perhaps participate themselves? Well, that's a, I think that's a really observant question, um, and I'll say that we're in the midst of a little bit of a pivot. I think for decades and decades, it was the goal of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy to be unseen almost, to have an unseen management presence on the AT. And the desire there was to create the most free and freeing experience for the hiker possible. We really wanted, you know, one, to put these local clubs out in front, but two, to encourage everywhere we could the kind of wonder that you experience when you get out on, on a trail like the AT or the PCT. And what that did was create, a, I think, a culture among hikers where they, you know, maybe had access to that experience, you know, which is great, but also didn't understand, you know, the amount of work that goes into keeping the trail open on a day to day basis, who's doing it. They didn't understand the details that go into providing a hiker this experience. Now we're seeing that the level of threats to the AT experience and the level of work that needs to be done around land protection and things like that requires the horsepower of every hiker. And so we're moving to a paradigm where we really, you know, try to hold up that access to a, a wonder-based experience, if you will, but also really are taking a purposeful approach now at, at telling hikers you know, how much work has gone into this, how, you know, lucky we all are to have access to this experience and, 
and why it's important um, for each hiker to get involved. I mean, this is not a resource that has this like large federal management footprint, like a Yellowstone or a Great Smoky Mountain National Park or something. This is really built on the horsepower of, of volunteers and protected on the horsepower of volunteers. And we want, to, we want to tell people that story because we think making sure every hiker understands what, what goes into AT management and protection is the only way to ensure the trail's long-term viability. For sure. So COVID has brought so many people outside, and many have been acting irresponsibly. I'm here in Minnesota, and uh, the Boundary Waters were, um, you know, just kind of savaged by people not really understanding that you don't cut down trees and you don't burn your garbage, etc. The drone footage of Max Patch on the uh, Appalachian Trail in North Carolina was just absolutely shocking, and a lot of my friends overseas even saw that. Um, how do you educate people about trash and kind of unauthorized user trails? And maybe a better word than educate would be, you know, how do you change attitudes to to sort of, you know, to have reverence for this land? You know, if I if I knew the complete answer to that question, I think I could provide massive value to public lands across the country. <laughs> you know, I think one thing we're trying to do is educate the general user base. And so it, it becomes kind of a, a self educating, self-policing culture on the trail. You know, we can't rely on a singular authority to establish um, some sort of, you know, list of regulations. What works the best is hikers talking to each other and saying, hey, this is not a good idea. This is why. And I I, I go back to my through hike. Um, I'm looking at a picture of my good buddy, Lazy Mike, and I didn't have the best practices when I was a young man and through hiking and I think he saw me burn trash one time it was partially burned and he made a big deal out of he made sure I saw him go through the firing pick out all the unburned trash and pack it up but really that was one of the most formative educational processes in what would become my own personal land ethic. I think another thing is educating people on, you know, what ha- what's the life cycle of that, you know, book they leave in the shelter or that toilet paper that they don't bury effectively. A volunteer, a human being with, you know, a job and a family and enough care for the AT that they have signed up, gone through, you know, a registration system and got training and spent hours and hours just to get out on the trail, take enough time to go out there and they don't tolerate that, that sort of trash on, on their section. You know, if you've been hiking the AT for a long time, you might notice the content of things like, um, signs in a privy instead of saying like, don't dump your trash in a privy hole. Um, they might say something these days, like if you choose to dump, trash in a privy hole, a volunteer will sift through the privy and pack out that trash. Please pack out your own trash. And so it really is trying to humanize AT management a little bit, which I think has been effective. That makes the message very clear. (laughs) Yeah. I don't mean to laugh. No, it's it's funny. I mean, and I've been there with volunteers digging out privies or moving privies. And the spectrum of work that these people do to make the AT what it is, is just, I think, would floor people who, who didn't know. I mean, everything from sanding shelters and to get graffiti off, you know, just out there 
and you know the biblical level of of words on on some of these shelters and just sitting there with a the sandpaper hour after hour sanding this stuff off to inventorying you know rare plants and planning work around avoiding rare plants just so a hiker might be able to experience them for for a second the scope of it is just kind of mind-boggling a lot of what we've been talking about during COVID, especially people like you and me who like to be outdoors, is, you know, a sense of gratitude, even in, a, you know, a rough um, patch in our lives. Um, what are you most grateful for? I mean, I guess in terms of the AT. Gosh, I'm grateful that I can still go to the AT and it is still a place of rejuvenation for me. On my time off, I still go there. And I'm really thankful that um, this level of access I have to the kind of management bureaucracy and the and you know all the sausage making, so to speak, has not jaded me. It's actually done the opposite and and really invigorated me and made my ability to enjoy the AT so much more rich because I see the work that the volunteers put in and I see the the kind of um, dedicated partnership approach that the National Park Service puts in. And I see how the Park Service and the Forest Service work across these kind of traditional barriers to partner with each other. You know, it makes every every step I take on the AT that much more fun and more rewarding. And I'm really thankful that that I have the trail and can get to it, really. Andrew Downs is the Senior Regional Director of the Appalachian Trail Conservancy South. And his work, as you can hear, is a calling, a labor of love. As he says, still work, but meaningful to him and to us who walk the trail. I think the phrase that really jumped out at me was offering hikers a wonder-based experience. And he shepherds that by managing a volunteer army. There's a, a management document that we use called the Comprehensive Plan for AT Management. And it, it it's one of these old, older documents that is as valuable in its sort of prose as it is in its clear direction. And it says that, you know, volunteers are the soul of the trail and care for it as they would their own garden. That's exactly true. That's exactly true. Volunteers are the soul of the trail. Um, and take such good care of it. And I think hikers should understand that because if they love the trail, to keep it the way it is, they need to get involved. There are many ways to get involved with the AT in particular. Andrew Downs tells me if you live near the Appalachian Trail, joining one of the 31 locally-based clubs might be the best way. But if you're like me and based in Minnesota, for instance, there are opportunities to fly in, get geared up, and then taken to a hot spot where your work will be very much needed. As well, the ATC sponsors a diversity program to help bring historically underserved communities out on the trail. Things are a little bit different right now due to COVID, but I have put links in the show notes so you can check it out when you're free to travel. Andrew also touched on something really critical at the end of our conversation, that the ATC is making a shift in emphasis from volunteers who are not necessarily hikers themselves maintaining the trail to actual hikers giving back and being part of the stewardship going forward. Coming up in a moment, we'll meet Gina Knox, a hiker who is picking up trash as part of Granite Gear's Groundskeepers program, and she's getting noticed for her participation from other hikers. 
it seems to be an open appreciation for something that I don't think that they would see themselves doing, but I'm hoping it catches on, you know, like, hey, don't, maybe you shouldn't walk past or walk over that trash. And just a sidebar here, I happen to be one of those hikers who needed it to be pointed out to me not to walk past trash. I'm Blissful Hiker, and you're listening to Walking Distance from the Trek. Walking Distance is supported by John Reamer and Associates. On a backpack trip, you wouldn't think of heading out without a map, a compass, and a guidebook. Planning for a healthy financial future is much the same. It's a step-by-step process. And at John Reamer and Associates, you'll get personalized financial advice to help you reach your goals today and tomorrow. With the right financial advisor, life can be brilliant. Be inspired at johnreamer.com. A private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, located in Minnesota with over 30 years of experience. This is Walking Distance from the Trek. I'm Blissful Hiker. Gina Knox is a 20-something hiker from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Her introduction to hiking was on the Ice Age Trail, when her high school earth science teacher took her and the class to the Kettle Moraine section to see for themselves the power of glaciers carving the landscape. She has a keen eye, and her photographs are absolutely breathtaking, capturing not just the beauty and interest in an outdoor scene, but also the mood and atmosphere of a place. After looking at some of her shots from Shenandoah National Park, I could feel the heat and the humidity and almost hear the cicadas chirping. Gina's philosophy is to use her camera as a tool to show where she is and what she's already doing, rather than as a photographer going on hikes specifically to find photo-worthy subjects. And so it was, with camera in hand, when she was hiking and became dismayed by what she saw. I would definitely say that there are a lot of places that kind of disturbed me to see overflows of trash, places along the Appalachian Trail. Also, the M&M Trail up in on the Connecticut-Massachusetts border, I saw that there was like query or query um, construction in a really beautiful, like when you look out from the top of a um, of the peak there, they were doing a lot of construction that was absolutely just ripping through um, one of the mountaintops. And I think that it may have been like uh, something for the government or something to that point. And it kind of just uh, struck a nerve with me. So I took some photos of it and it kind of got me um, more interested about pollution and why, um, no matter if it's privately owned or not, why we're able to tear out entire sides of mountains and why that trail at the peak there was littered with uh, beef jerky wrappers and and energy drink cans, you know. And um, for me, it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. But it was um, I was distracted by the trash that I saw and distracted by the fumes from the construction down below. And so that kind of got me into that. You're a 2021 Granite Gear groundskeeper. One of a group of individuals committed to the leave it better than you found it ideal and are committed to cleaning up 300 plus miles of public land. I mean, that seems absolutely daunting on a lot of levels. I mean, it's a lot of miles, but also you have to make the space in your pack to carry it out. You have to kind of plan when you're out that you're going to be actually 
you know, committing to this other project as well as enjoying your own hike. What is your strategy? I've been working on that a lot more. Um, the last hike that I did was just around the neighborhood of Urban Hike because um, I've been staying a little bit more local. And I have actually put out that question to other people. How are they um, hauling all this <laughs> trash back? Because after a mile around the block, I had already collected 12 pounds, you know, worth of trash. And so 12 pounds. Yeah, this neighborhood is beautiful that I live in, but it's absolutely um there's trash everywhere. There's fields and uh, lots of woods and uh, along the streets. There's a lot of a lot of kids who are out of school right now as well, who kind of um, add to a lot of the trash that is showing up in our neighborhood in particular. But 12 pounds. Yeah. Three full bags worth of trash just a mile in. And that's not a I don't think that's unique for anyone who is out there actually picking up trash. And so I'm trying to strategize myself on how I can um how I can be doing that um, in a better way. So that is something that I actually put out on the internet to see what people were doing. Some people had suggested maybe a rolly cart, like one of those things that um, like the older <laughs> ladies have, you know, pulling around those carts or something like that. I'm going to have to really uh, figure that out. Yeah, I saw a couple of pictures on the website where they've taken like a, a, a long um, limb and put it over their shoulders and then kind of carried it like you'd probably see in like a Chinese painting or something, this sort of balanced um, amount of garbage. So, <laughs> I have a friend who's actually done that. Yeah. And 300 miles of public land. So I'm thinking that you have to weigh your garbage, but you also have to keep track of your distance. Yeah. So I think the idea originally with a lot of groundskeepers before COVID was that they were already going to be committed to long distance hikes, but ultimately are going to be canceling hikes due to COVID and the logistics and things. So it is still going to be a commitment that um, persons are going to um, have to make a way through. I don't know if the miles will count through neighborhoods, but public lands are can be done locally also. Um, so I'm not really sure what everyone's plans are, but I know a lot of people who were originally going to be doing long distance hikes this year. Um, the program kind of had to adjust to COVID. So it'll be interesting to see. You bring up COVID and COVID has really changed our habits in a lot of ways. I mean, there are way more people outside because that's how you can meet with friends. We're on hiking trails. But of course, in some cases, that's meant that there's been more trash on trails. I mean, there's one place, I don't know the Appalachian Trail that well, but it was in like international news where people had just completely trashed this beautiful spot. What do you think the best approach is to, you know, kind of changing the mindset of people going to these beautiful places. And it's like, look, you, if you've packed it in, you should pack it out. Um, so when it comes to COVID and, and so many new hikers being out there, I think that that is why a program like Groundskeepers is so important because there's so many new hikers who don't understand um, rules of packing it in and packing it out. They are kind of um, more recreationally trying to find ways to get their kids out of the house. Um, and so I think that I was an example of that where people are flooding the parks but don't know to observe or how to observe or hadn't planned ahead on how to take their trash out. And so I think that a better um, approach would be more programs um, popping up and people being an example on social media where people are, are at, you know, I'm not sure how legislation could help that, but I think that just more and more people, even small companies are either locally start creating these little groups where people are committed to putting out information on how to clean up and keep the areas 
um, clean and um, just putting out more and more information and hopefully we'll be able to counter um, things like that. Yeah, I, did, I think it did make international news. I remember that scene where they had, I seen an overhead drone shots of, of there's like a open metal up there and it's really, really beautiful, but they were just tent to tent and just trash just everywhere. And it was, it was a shame to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad. I wonder if you've had any reaction from hikers or, you know, people in your neighborhood seeing what you're doing. Have they responded to you or talked to you? Yeah. So we were, me and a friend of mine were at a, a local a nature park and we were just walking around. And this this nature park in particular is adjacent to um, the freeway. And so with the freeway being there, there's just so much trash, you know, for miles and miles. So we go out there and we're picking up trash and people are um, are happy to see it, you know, you know, even asking, though, like, are you are you picking up trash? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, it's very, really obvious what we're doing, but kind of shocked, like noticeably shocked. And that, um, that's usually a reaction that I'll get, you know, in the neighborhood here. Um, a lot of walkers, a lot of runners who who run past the trash. Again, it's a it's a beautiful neighborhood, but trash. You know, when I moved in here, I was I was shocked to see how much trash you know was everywhere. <laughs> you know. It seems to be an open appreciation um, for something that I don't think that that they would see themselves doing, but I'm hoping it catches on, you know, like, hey, don't maybe you shouldn't walk past or walk over that trash that <laughs> or maybe you could just have a, a bag, you know, with you to to grab something because you wonder how long or how much is going to pile up. Some some of this trash that I've kind of uncovered in the neighborhood has clearly been there for um, extended amounts of time. And so hopefully just me being out there publicly picking up trash and there's nothing embarrassing about wanting a cleaner neighborhood, you know, it doesn't have to always be left to people who are getting paid. You know, there should be something I think ingrained in people that wants them to be in a clean environment. And so I don't know where we got away from that, but um, hopefully just more and more people being out kind of reintroduces those ideas. I mean, I have to ask this. Some of the garbage is gross. How do you? I mean, you obviously use gloves. <laughs> yeah, I have one of those little trash picker. I don't. <laughs> I, I call it a trash picker, but I think that it's really for the elderly to kind of uh, to reach for things that they're not able to to usually get. But I always have one of those. I have gloves. Depending on if the trash is going to be wet or rain soaked, I will have a, a mask on in case something splashes. So that. <laughs> um, it's pretty simple to do. You know, you're on trash bag, gloves, clothes that you may not care about getting dirty or easy to wash, you know, and then your little hand picker if you're freaked out by that. But I'm not I'm not really, you know, I'll get my my hands dirty or whatever, especially with the gloves. And then I can wash my hands and that pretty much be it. Well, there's definitely a spiritual element to the kind of work you're doing with groundskeepers. I mean, you're giving back with your time and energy. And this has been such a hard year for so many of us. And here you are showing, I mean, I would say the word is gratitude for the trail by caring for it. Would you describe it that way? Yeah, I would definitely describe it as immense gratitude. You know, um, again, with COVID, there's a lot of losses. You know, I had to get to a point in my life where I started looking around and saying, hey, if I'm losing things, what do I have? You know what I mean? And I had the outdoors. I had a camera. I had 
legs to walk, you know, in the outdoors is healing, you know, whether you're going outside for a mile, you're going outside for 2000 miles, you know what I mean? The outdoors gives back so much than, than I feel like I was giving, you know, I don't want to be the person who's constantly using and using and overusing the outdoors and staying out there and camping and hiking and um, walking past trash and setting the precedence for people to just overuse, you know, but gratitude, most definitely. I'm grateful for everything. And the biggest part of um, what I'm grateful is for the earth and what it gives. And um, any way I can give back, you know, is something I'll continue to do. The losses and disruption from COVID are huge for so many of us, and for Gina in particular. She had plans to walk the Appalachian Trail this season, but the ATC is asking hikers to postpone their through hikes until the CDC has deemed the pandemic under control and or a vaccine or effective treatment is more widely available. Yes, people are going to still walk the trail, but there are strict guidelines in place that will make sharing shelters and hitchhiking into town pretty difficult. And for Gina, not to have the full experience kind of makes it not worth it this year. So it's doubly wonderful that she's motivated to care for our shared space by keeping it clean and helping conserve it. And I must say, her attitude has rubbed off on me. I go to some of the same parks in my area for a daily walk, and I found myself walking right past garbage over and over on this particular trail. It was a plastic bag that someone left filled with dog poop. I know, it's totally gross. But on my next hike, I did exactly what Gina does. I took a bag and some wet wipes in my backpack, and I picked it up the next time I was out. I even trained my eyes to see a few more bits of trash on the trail, and I did my part to help keep it clean. You can find out more about Granite Gear's program Groundskeepers at the show notes. And keep in touch about ways you're giving back to the trail. You can reach us at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co. Original music was composed by Daniel Nass. And thanks so much to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com by using code WALKINGDISTANCE. I'm Blissful Hiker. You've been listening to Walking Distance from The Trek. Trek.